0: This podcast is filled with stories of people saying they made it through the muck and out the other side of divorce. But what does that look like? Is it all unicorns and rainbows once your divorce is signed, sealed, and delivered? Or is there still struggle and doubt and anxiety? Today, I talked to someone who not only made it out the other side personally, but she also helps people in her professional work do the same. There really is light on the other side of divorce, so let's go find out what
1: that looks like. The Happy Even After Podcast. The Happy Even After Podcast. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't need to define you. And it doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Happy Even After Podcast. Meet your host, Renee Bauer, an award-winning divorce attorney, peacemaker, author, and founder of The D-Course, an online divorce educational program. She's been doing this work for almost two decades, and she is passionate about helping all women Make it out the other side. The Happy Even After Podcast. Let's jump in.
0: Hey, we are back with another episode of the Happy Even After Podcast, and you are in for a treat today. So, we are chatting with Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, who is a clinical psychologist and the author of Light on the Other Side of Divorce Discovering the New You, which debuted as number one on Amazon in popular psychology. She received her PhD from Boston University. I don't think I knew that, that Mm -hmm. you went to... I don't hear a Boston accent, so you're not really a Bostonian (laughs) now. That's okay. We'll forgive you. (laughs) She was the recipient of the prestigious American Psychological Foundation Research Award for her research on the emotional effects of 9-11. She's been featured on all of the things, including the Wall Street Journal, NBC News, women's health, HuffPost, Good Housekeeping, and is a weekly contributor to Psychology Today. So she's an author, she's a podcast host, and she's also a divorcee herself. So welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here with you and your audience.
0: I'm so excited to chat again because I was on your podcast not too long ago, and now I get to ask all of the questions. (laughs) So, I mean, let's start first with You and I both work in the divorce space, and often when there's someone who is a professional in the space, we have our own story of divorce. So can we start a little bit just sharing your own personal
1: journey of your divorce? Absolutely. So about 14 years ago, I was married to someone who struggles with the disease of alcoholism and had a six-month-old and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old and decided that it was time for me to take care of my family. And I'm always careful because I I want to say he left, but I actually asked him to leave and kicked him out. So I protected my family. And that became became the process of raising these two incredibly young children by myself while managing the relationship with someone who struggles with alcoholism.
0: So your book is all about the light on the other side of divorce, but we all know that when you're in the thick of the divorce, you are actually sitting in the dark, like the pitch dark. So how did you come out? I imagine that you were in that space at one point when you were in the thick of it. How did you start to climb out the other side?
1: Well, part of why I created the book was because when I was going through the divorce, I did what most people do. I Googled divorce recovery. And I just couldn't find anything. This was about 14 years ago. And I realized that that sent me the message that I wasn't going to be able to recover, that I had screwed up so badly that there was no healing. And that was gut-wrenching. And I remember sitting in my bed and thinking, I've made the biggest mistake of my life, except there was no alternative. I had no other choice. And so I unfortunately had so much training in psychology that I just pieced together you know, what I did with clients, what I learned in trainings, I did extra trainings, one foot forward, two steps back, just trying to move through the experience. And I share in the book this um, moment where I was in the park and I had just shared with some parents about my ex and some of the dramatic stories. And they were all, you know, mouth right, wide open and heard all the details. And I actually was pushing my kids back in their double stroller back home. And I was at this crossroads. It really was a two paths. And I thought to myself, I can either continue to tell this story, which is about what he's done and us as the victims, or I can figure out how I got here with love and compassion and gentleness so that I don't end up here again. And it was really that moment where I thought, okay, I can either stay in the darkness or crawl towards the light. Mm.
0: And I think what's so interesting about what you said is you are a clinical psychologist. like You work in this space, and yet you still struggled with it. And so that tells me that there isn't really a black and white answer as to how to go through the divorce recovery, and it's a journey along the way. So what would your advice be for someone who's kind of stuck in that darkness?
1: What's the first thing that they do? I mean, that's such a good question. Absolutely. I mean, I was a therapist helping other people. So, still unable to really help myself in the marriage. So, I had a lot of shame. So, I'd say the first thing is to really be deeply compassionate to yourself and know that you've done everything you possibly could. And wherever you are today is where you work to get to and did everything you possibly could. So, first, huge amount of self compassion. And releasing some of the shame around the divorce and that this is happening to you. And then I always say don't focus on the external, focus on the internal. What is going on for you internally? What did this relationship bring up? What do you want to repeat or not repeat? Really, instead of picking up kind of the magnifying glass of looking at someone else or even like your financial stuff pick up the mirror and start looking at what you need.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about shame for a second, because that's such a buzzword. When you say divorce, it's like divorce and shame are synonyms. What was the shame that you were feeling?
1: So I felt too, one, that I had this partner who was struggling with the mental health and substance abuse issue. And I am a therapist and I couldn't get him to get better. Like that. It was my fault that he wasn't sober and that If I referred him to the right people, said the right things, that somehow he would change. So that was the first. I was a failure because of his disease. Mm, That's heavy. That was really hard. And that took a long time to really separate out that it's not my responsibility to help heal anyone. And then the second piece was that here I am, supposed to be this expert on communication and relationships. And the truth is, I was hiding out in a relationship with someone who was ill so that I didn't really have to fully show up emotionally myself. So I could tell everyone else how they should do it, but I myself wasn't doing it. And that was hard to face. Oh my God,
0: there's so much that you just said there because I mean, that's like, I feel like you and I are kind of the same person because I wasn't dealing with the, I wasn't doing what you do, but as a divorce lawyer, I'm helping right. people. And I'm like telling them, like cheering them on, telling them they're making the best you know, decisions and to take care of themselves. But it was the same thing. I was like this broken version of myself and mm-hmm. I felt like a fraud, you know?
1: Yes, definitely. And I, I didn't even know until I was out what a fraud I felt like. Like it was my, my image. And I know we talked about this on my podcast. You had this too, Renee. Like I remember you talking about the um, like high heels and the suit. Like my image of having it all together was the most important thing to me. Like that was even more important than what was really happening in my marriage. I had to make it look like I had it all together and I hadn't made a mistake. I think I was really afraid of being shamed for choosing this person, or I should have known better. A lot of shoulds, and so all I really cared about was looking like I was okay. But once I really decided to admit that I was not okay. That's really when the healing started.
0: All right. So where does this come from then? Because like, where does the, mm-hmm. this need for having, it's like this perfectionism. Like we have to put out there that we are living this perfect life, that we have it all together. We're in complete control. And we're like, really like and at the, on the other side, we're kind of a mess and like, but feeling like we can't let on that we are.
1: Well, we don't live in a society that really embraces vulnerability. I mean, that's why social media has, you know, through the roof because this idea of perfectionism is so attractive. Evolutionarily, you know, we being perfect and fitting in with a group was adaptive to for survival. And so anyone who was doing something different was a threat to the entire unit. So very often people who were shamed were at more at risk of not surviving. So I think we really need to shift. This is especially true for women and people from systemically oppressed groups to be okay with being vulnerable, with being okay with the discomfort that nobody has in any way something perfect. And in fact, in my work, I talk about shifting the narrative that deciding that you want a divorce, that something could be different and things could be better or accepting that your partner wants a divorce is actually a brave move because you're willing to look at something and think, huh, is this working for me or not? But we just don't value that. I think we value kind of status quo, sticking to what everyone is expecting, these incredibly pressured marriage norms. So we don't accept and allow vulnerability. So then when it hits us, like with divorce, we don't know what to do with it. We feel ashamed.
0: Did you find that once you dropped the facade that it was liberating?
1: Well, I found two things. It was fun, very funny, because I was shocked at how many people would ask me how I did it. Like, I was actually shocked that so many people, I think, wanted to be getting divorced, but could, didn't feel brave. So once I let down the facade, I felt braver, and I also felt real again. You know, I was walking around, I don't know if you can relate to this, Renee, but kind of in a fog, just really trying to hold it all together and make it seem like everything was okay. And then when I could say things were not okay, all of this weight really fell off my shoulders. I just felt like I can be real. And you know what? People love when other people are real. So when I would be real, people would start telling me their experiences and I felt more connected to them. So I would say I feel more connected. I feel more grounded. I feel more present. And I actually feel more able to handle hard situations when I admit that I'm having them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It takes the pressure off of trying to be perfect. And it's like, yeah, like, listen, I had a really crappy day. It was really hard. And maybe it was an anniversary. Maybe it was like, I missed my kid and like, just kind of allowing that messiness to be visible. Like, I think that there's so much freedom in that.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. And we talk about parenting, you know, we model that it's messy. You know, that not every day is a beautiful day and that tomorrow will be a new day. I remember someone saying like, you know, the sun is always there even when the clouds are covering it. And so tomorrow you might feel differently. But if you hold on to, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Even just when I say that there's this tightness that happens in the nervous system. We clamp down, we get hypervigilant. And we also miss opportunities to see some really lovely things because you can have a really bad day And then by the time you get home, maybe see a really beautiful bird. But if you're in that clamped down space, then you can't be open to what's really beautiful and possible around you. So Dr.
0: Cohen, you had two young kids when you were going through your divorce. Yeah. How did you do it? How did you survive that? How did you let go of the guilt from it? And how did you be a single parent?
1: So I live, I am very fortunate to live in New York City. And I also grew up in New York City. And something that people don't know about New York City is that there are really small villages um, within it. So we don't all live in Times Square. (laughs) It's like what everyone I think thinks. But I lived in a building and in a community where there was amazing support. And I just asked for help all the time. I had no shame in asking for help. I'd ask for people to bring food by. I'd ask them to take my kids. I'd ask them to have them for sleepovers. I just asked and asked and asked because I just knew I couldn't do it myself. And I was also spend a lot of time being proud of myself for just getting through the small things, like getting the groceries or putting them to bed. I would always take time to reflect on how hard I was working and just what a good job I was doing, instead of kind of focusing on the beating myself up for not doing enough. And as far as not being them, not, they didn't have any exposure to their father for about two years. That was difficult because I was never sure exactly how to talk about him or how to present him. It was complicated to try to figure that single parenting part out. And I think it's still, you know, something that I don't know if I did perfectly, but it was, it was a struggle that was hard.
0: I mean, who's to say what's even perfect, you know?
1: Right. I mean, <laughs> who's to say how I was supposed to do it? I just remember at yeah. one point, my ex called me, he was in one of his rehabs and he asked me if there were any photos of him around. And I didn't have any. And I thought, oh... You know, I just I, it was so much to manage. It was enough to manage them physically that to manage them also emotionally and their relationship to him. I, I just I couldn't also do that. So there were a lot of parts that were complicated, but definitely asking for help. And by the way, like asking for help in the way with the kids, but also having therapy, you know. And I also, you know, pretty not early on, but about a year and a half after I kicked him out, I met my current husband, who is the most wonderful man in the world. And I was open to meeting somebody new and to love and to connecting and believing that this wasn't the end of my kid's story. There was more.
0: Do you believe that on the other side of your divorce can be a life you freaking love? What if I told you that to live a happy life, you first have to believe you deserve it? How can you possibly create a life you love if you don't believe you are worthy of it? let's get you set up to start believing in you. Just text the word believe to 411-321 to receive a free believe yourself badass guide. In this guide, we talk about power statements and how they can change your life. So stop what you're doing and text believe to four one one three two one. 321 See you on the inside. Do you believe that you almost, in a way, gave your ex the gift of making that decision because it did force
1: him to get the help that he so desperately needed? Yeah, I mean, I definitely say that he would never have gotten sober if we had stayed together. He, I mean, it took him quite a bit of time even after that, but he needed to come to it on his own. And I never gave him the dignity to be his own person. Part of what was going on for me was that I felt better than him because of his disease, which pumped me up which then always made him be in that lower position. So our dynamic was never going to help him heal. So I say, I think he gave me a gift with his disease because it really required me to look at myself and learn a lot about things that I I had no idea I was doing that I sure as heck was not helping.
0: (laughs) You know, and that's so important is turning it like you could sit there and so easily say, well, it was all his fault. And it was, you know, he was the reason for the breakdown of our marriage and he's the reason that I'm in this situation. But that's not what you said right now. Like, how did you get to that point?
1: I think I, I just realized that he was going to keep doing what he was doing. I mean, I had many, oper- many of us have these like many repeated experiences of having, trying to twist myself into a pretzel and him still doing the same behavior. And I just thought I have a choice. Like either I can keep, you know, the think that, The definition of insanity, right, is continuing doing the same thing and expecting different results that I could keep doing that and hoping for another person to change. Or I could actually spend a little time focusing on me who I can actually try to change. Like it was this moment I remember where I thought, wait, I can actually behave differently. I can't make another person behave differently. So it was actually really freeing and really exciting. And I feel this every time I feel triggered or frustrated by anyone I stop and I think, what's going on for me and what can I do to move myself out of this instead of, oh, that person shouldn't say that or I need to stop this relationship. I I really go first and foremost to me and what can I shift so that this situation can be better for me because that's the only person I can change.
0: Super good advice if you have a high conflict parent and you are saying that this person's making you nuts. I think that that's a really interesting and great perspective on it. And you're taking back the control of
1: what's happening. Absolutely. I'm glad you bring that up. Um, Talk about this in a masterclass I have on how not to scrub your kids that, you know, really hard. I mean, the hardest thing about co-parenting is that you don't have control. Like you can try all the things, right? You can try all the things, all the schedules, all the notebooks, but ultimately that person is going to do what they're going to do. And in fact, the more you try to control people, the more they stick their feet in the mud. And so it's letting go of that control and figuring out what am I going to do on my time? What am I going to do for myself? How am I going to change me so that I feel better? It might just be, how do I deal with the fact that I'm so enraged with this person? Right? That might just be the treatment that you need to focus on. That's more manageable than trying to change the other person.
0: All right, then. So professional hat question. What can you do to not screw up your
1: kids? (laughs) So there's two very important things and people can um, learn a few more if you go to my um, website. But the two most important things is do not talk smack about the other parent. Like I get it. They suck. You have so many reasons to be upset. Like, I'm not denying your experience. That's what I'm here for. That's what Renee's here for. Like, you have people to help support you in your rage. Your, and I call it in my book, Righteous Anger. But if you talk with your kids about it, it puts them in an impossible position because kids are meant and developmentally appropriately attached to both parents. And so, if you start talking about the other parent, they will feel this need to ally with one of you. And that is an completely biologically unadaptive thing for them to do. It also teaches them that you are someone who talks about other people behind their back. So they will be walking around uncomfortable and worried about when it's going to happen for you, for them, when you're going to talk about them. So that's the first thing. The second thing is always separate out your feelings from their feelings. So I give this example that, you know, you have this plan for a joint birthday party dinner, With both and your ex cancels and you are enraged. Before you turn to your kid and say, do you want to go? Or are you bad at dad? Or whatever it is, ask yourself how you're feeling first, write it all down, list it all out, allow yourself to feel those feelings, and then be curious about what your kid is feeling because they do not feel exactly what you feel. I'll share this quick story about this, how it happened in my life. So, my ex husband got remarried and his wife was due with the baby, and my son was about nine. And I'd ask him and check in, you know, and he, they would tell you unskillfully, how are you feeling about the baby coming? They had never really lived with their biological dad primarily. So, here was this new baby who was going to live with their dad. So, I imagine there were some feelings. So, I'd ask, how are you feeling about it? How are you feeling about it? And at one point, he turned to me and he said, Mom, you know, you keep asking me about this. I'm okay. Are you okay with this? And he was right. I was not. It was all about me. Like I was not, I was like, here he was not with me with the kids. And now he's, and so I had all this work to do and I could have, I was about to change the visit, visitation and do all this stuff under the guise of like helping the kids transition to this new baby. But really that was BS. It was about my feelings. So I really want to encourage parents to constantly figure out what are my feelings and what are my kids' Ooh, that is such hard work. Like sometimes
0: you don't want to look, you don't want to hold the mirror up. Like you want to just turn it out and, and let someone else take the blame for it. You are proposing like, I think what takes practice.
1: Totally. And gentleness, one step forward, two steps back. None of us do this all the time. It's all about awareness. If you are aware of your behavior, even if you're acting irrationally, at least you're aware. That is helpful for your children and for your general nervous system.
0: I mean, and don't you think it's helpful for the next relationship, the next marriage that you go into? Like you kind of own your shit. So you don't show up and have that same
1: exact relationship on repeat. A hundred percent. I mean, not, and you know, you know what will trigger you. So you know how to communicate. You know, I think boundaries are blueprints for relationships. So you can say, hey, when my ex, you know, picks up the kids, i get kind of frazzled. so, you know, we can't hang out for a couple hours after that or whatever it is. like the more you know about yourself, the more you can share with a future partner and you can have a successful relationship because you know yourself. the key to a relationship that's healthy is being able to own your shit. there's no question about that.
0: yeah. and what you said is it's about you. It's not about the other person. The key isn't the other person. It's not how they're showing up, it's how you're showing up. I think that's exactly. so important. So, you talk about on one of uh, your social media posts, you talked about radical self care. What does yeah. that
1: mean? I mean, I think especially for people who are going through a divorce, and if you've been in a marriage where you weren't sure you wanted to be in it or not, there's been a lot of self sacrifice, a lot of pushing your needs away so that you can take care of another person or heal the relationship or take care of your kids. And so I think we really need to think about self-love as a radical notion. That before you take care of another person, you ask yourself, how am I taking care of myself? It is modeling self-appreciation. And it goes back to what we just said. That's how you get to know yourself. You say to your partner, you know what? I've had too much stimulation this week. I actually need to stay in tonight and I'll see you tomorrow. That's radical self-love. Knowing what you need, asking yourself, what would make me comfortable in this situation? And then communicating that to another person, that's a gift. Even if it's not what the person wants to hear. Yeah, yeah.
0: And that's so interesting. My husband and I recently had this conversation. It reminded me of what you said about how each of us functions. Like he's much more of an extrovert and likes the socialization. And I'm like the opposite. Like I like the quiet. I like a Friday night in. And it was like, neither of us could understand. He'd be like, well, I don't understand why you don't want to like get together with eight friends. And I'm like, I don't understand why you do. (laughs) So it was like understanding what each needed and being like, okay, like now we know, you know, you can go do your thing. I can go do my thing and we'll come back together and we're both happy.
1: Yeah, and the fact that you knew it was about you and not again about like, he doesn't understand you or he makes too many plans or then no one was at fault. It could just be everyone in the situation taking responsibility and really asking for what they need.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the key to, I think, a second marriage that is healthy and not just a repeat because we see the statistics like second, third, they're so high. And I mean, do you think it's because
1: people aren't owning their shit? absolutely i think it's because i mean i think a lot of us try to, and i was this way too try to kind of fix things from our childhood and in, in relationships and unconsciously try to make things better and don't look at ourselves and we really do think that it's another person but really if you i mean most people that you're with if you say hey sorry i screwed up or this really made me upset and it was because of this not something you did they'll understand that. Like, that's a great communication strategy. It's just that most people blame the other person. They externalize why something is happening instead of taking responsibility.
0: So you talk about the six simple words someone can say to help a friend going through a divorce. And I think if if you've gone through a divorce, the default reaction is, let me tell you all of the things that happened in my divorce, but is there a better way to be a support system for a friend who is going through a divorce?
1: Yes. So the six words, it starts with a compassionate word like, you know, my love or sweetie or something gentle. How can I best support you? No assumptions, right? This goes back to the what does this person need, right? Do you need a casserole or do you need to, you know, tell me all the terrible things about your ex? What do you need? I don't know what you need. So how can I best support you? It allows your friend to take a moment to turn inward and ask themselves what they need and then share it with you so you can give it to them. Because so many of us assume that we know what another person needs. I mean, me included. But we don't. Only you know what you need at that moment. And also don't hold that person to it that they need that forever. That might just be what they need in that moment. But be open. Don't put your stuff on them. Don't ask them a million questions. Just ask how you can support them.
0: Dr. Cohen, you are amazing. I love chatting with you. How do we get a copy of your book and connect with you and get into your class called, is it really called how, to, how not to screw up your, your kids?
1: Yes, <laughs> I love, I love it. it. So You can find my how not, how not to screw up your kids at drelisabethcohen.com That's drelisabethcohen.com And my book, Light at the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You, you can find on Amazon. Or if you go to Bookshop, that's a conglomerate of small bookstores. And just during this COVID time, it's really great to support them. You can get it there too. Mm. Um, On Instagram, I'm the Divorce Doctor. And happy to answer any questions. I answer questions on Mondays. But if you DM me anytime, I'm happy to answer questions.
0: And final question, what can someone do today
1: to start their healing process? I would say, ask yourself the question that I suggested friends ask you. What do you need right now for support? Ask yourself, write down, what do I need? I love that. So good. Thank you so much. You are
0: such a delight. And I'm so glad that we were able to spend this time together. Me
1: too. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Link up with us at MsReneeBauer.com. Remember to rate and review and share with anyone you think might find this episode helpful. You can change your story and live happy even after.